0: Scripture reading today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 32. You were taught, with regards to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we were all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is God's will. Please be seated.
1: Thank you. I missed everybody last week. Amen. Amen. We are um, coming to the close of this series uh, that we're calling Game Changers. Uh, If you're visiting with us, uh, we've been looking at this text in Ephesians 4 for a number of weeks. Inside of your announcement sheet is an outline that you can use as we kind of go through the text this morning. And I would encourage you to get that out and to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's begin by bowing our heads, joining our hearts, and asking God to bless us. Father, when we think about all the ways your presence intersects our lives, we are staggered, astonished, we become grateful, at the same time we become ashamed that there is not more gratitude in our hearts or a greater faith. That we live in trust of your presence and word and promises in this life and in this world and in this church and in this community. And this is why we're thankful that we're here this morning, Father, together as one body. To recognize that you are not only our creator, you are our savior. and not only our savior, but our father and our redeemer. And it's through your Spirit that we become different people. Made to look like your Son, the Christ. We are thankful not only to be here together to worship Father, but also to listen to you through your Word. To have your Word penetrate into our hearts in such a way that we are melted, that we are renovated from the inside out, that your word, like a sword, do its work in our lives, critiquing and making us aware of both the positive and the places that need work in our lives to fully more emulate the life of Jesus. So to this end, Father, as we pray every week, and really every day, give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way that we turn every part of our life toward you. And this we ask in the name of Jesus, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Like I said a, a couple of minutes ago, we are in this series that we're calling Game Changers. Because everywhere that a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth goes in this world, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the people around him, they are a game changer. Game changers like Michael Jordan. Remember the first time you saw Michael Jordan leap from the top of the key and and dunk a basketball. I mean, he he just showed how the game of basketball could be played at a different level. And then do you recognize this next guy? Who is this? Pele. I mean, Pele took a game, the most popular game in the world, and turned it into a beautiful game of, of art and elegance, a foot and a ball out on the pitch. And then do you recognize the next guy? Gretzky, the great one. And although people are going to debate as to whether or not Gordie Howe or Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player ever in the NHL, most people will say that what Gretzky brought to the game was an elegance and a creativity on the ice that has never been seen before or has been seen since. Now what about us? In the same way, Christians are game changers in that As we live our life and speak our words and do our deeds, as we live our life, we give people a new understanding of what human beings who are made in the image of God are supposed to look like. And how we relate and function in relationships. And how we operate in society in a general way. And how we deal with adversity and navigate through the dark times and the troublesome times of life. In other words, a disciple of Jesus demonstrates what a spirit filled individual looks like as opposed to a person who's just morally good and they do the good moral stuff because they've been able to put a couple of restraints in their life the world does not need more self-righteous people what the world needs are people who are the real deal when it comes to the kingdom of God and not only that people who have a new identity a new character And that is really what is at the center of this text that we're looking at. Think about what it is that that Paul says at the beginning of this text in Ephesians 4, verse 24. He says, put on the what? New self. Not just a new habit, not just a new calendar and a new way of organizing your life, but you are becoming a different kind of a human being. As a new self, you're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness Which means, as he talks about it throughout the rest of the the passage, in verse 32 he says, you know what that means to be created, to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness? It means that you are kind and compassionate to other people. You are kind and compassionate to other people. That new self that is created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness, is to be a kind self. And the reason for this is that kindness is one of those words that describes God, the character of God, the personality of God, as He intersects with human beings throughout all of the pages of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to the maps. God is described as kind. Here are a couple of verses. One from the Old Testament, Isaiah 54. He says at the middle of that verse, verse 10, My loving kindness will not be removed from you. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Paul, uh, writing to a church in Rome rather than a church in Ephesus as we're studying this morning, he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? That's kind of a startling thing to say, isn't it? I mean, even at the most basic human level, you know that the right way you respond to kindness is not with contempt. But that is what human beings who are fallen full of thorns and thistles, they have the ability to show contempt to God in His kindness and His forbearance and His patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And so kind is what we are as disciples of Jesus. There's something about a story of kindness, right? Charles Swindoll tells his story of There's a woman that is walking down the street very, very slowly and hails a taxi. Taxi driver, the cab driver, saw her from afar, noticed that she was moving kind of slowly, had his eye on her when she turned around, saw him and signaled for him to come by and pick her up. He pulls over, she gets into the car, and she gives him the address of the place where she wants to go, but she says, I want you to take me the most indirect, long way that you can go. Hits the cab driver a little odd. It's a curious sort. So he says, most people are trying to tell me the shortest route so they don't have to pay the most amount of money. Why do you want to go the long route? And she said, I don't have any family in this town. And I'm headed to check in to a hospice unit. And um, I don't have very long to live. And I'm not in a hurry to get to the last place that I'm going to live. And the cab driver said, you know what? I'm going to take you on a route that's going to take us all day to get there for free. And he spent the entire day with her. What is it about the stories of kindness? I I, I, I used to think that um, it was because I was getting older and and a, a lot more maybe mellow and sensitive, that, uh, you, you know, I, I'm still so utterly touched by, by meanness and, and violence in the world. But I find myself just eyes brimming over with tears when, when I see on television or hear a story or read a story or witness somebody being kind. There's just something about kindness that, that sort of stops us in mid-stampede of life and gets our attention, and makes us understand and and realize maybe uh, even more deeply how necessary, and how significant, and how important kindness is in a world that's filled with thorns and thistles. And we are to be kind and compassionate to others. So a couple of things about, uh, about kindness. Number one, Christian kindness is more than skin deep. Christian kindness is more than skin deep. You'll remember in the early 1990s, there was a movement that you were to practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. And you saw these billboards all over the place. People were talking about it. There were songs written about it. Everybody was doing random acts of kindness. And then about that time, there was a movie that came out called Pay It Forward. It had Kevin Spacey, Helen Hunt in it. And basically, the premise of the movie was somebody does something kind to you that's so unexpected. It's just this act of beauty that grabs your attention, and it moves you, it saves you, it helps you, whatever it might be. Don't try to return the favor to that person. Pay it forward. Do it to somebody that that you run into somewhere down the road, even if it's a week, a month, a year down the road. But pay that act of kindness forward. And so during that period of time... Uh, you, you would get in line at the drive through at Starbucks and you would get up and some dude or, or, or some gal in a car in front of you had paid for your coffee. Or you would get to the toll booth there at, on the toll road and you would get your money out to pay for the toll and they would say, well, no, the person in front of you has already paid for your, uh, for your toll. There was also in the 1990s a book called Gorilla Kindness. Gorilla in the sense of G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, not the, you know, the guy that looks like me, kind of gorilla. But gorilla kindness. And the book was written as a response to the random acts of violence in our culture. Now here's the thing, church. I don't want to ever downplay any act of kindness. I mean, Lord knows, greater than we do, that there is, we need all the kindness that we can get in this culture and in this world. But you know what? Christians are not called to do random acts of kindness. We are called to be kind people. No one says, in in 35 years of ministry, no one has ever come into my office and said, you know what, uh, Mark, can you pray for me? Can we have a study about this? Because I've got so many things under control, but I am so unkind. When is the last time, if ever, you've heard somebody say, you know what, I have a problem with unkindness? Look at me, and I'm the poster child for somebody who is unkind in the world. Nobody says that, even though we can witness them doing some of the most most vicious acts of, of, of thorns and thistles in the world. Think about all of the things that are said in social media. Guess what? Nobody who authored any of those mean things in social media would say, you know what, don't listen to me. I just have to do that because I'm an unkind person. Nobody does that. And you know why? It's because they practice random acts of kindness. They can do and speak and say and write anything that they want, as long as they do a couple of acts of kindness that identifies them as kind people. That's not us. We are people who do not grieve the work of the Holy Spirit that is active in our lives since the day that we aligned our life with the will of God in our baptism, and God, through that Spirit, through His Word, through our interaction with each other, where we have, believe me, ample and multitude opportunities on a weekly and a daily and sometimes hourly basis to learn what it means to be kind, to everyone, even to unkind people. The problem is that sometimes the kindness becomes about us. Nietzsche, who was an antagonistic, atheistic voice when it came to Christianity, was also sometimes spot on in some of his observances. He said in a a, a book called Daybreak, which was basically his critique of the prejudices of morality, he said, you know what? To become moral is not in itself moral. By that he means that just because you do something moral and something right, it doesn't make you a moral person. In other words, to do something moral does not mean that you have embodied that moral characteristic as a part of your character. For instance, a person who's nice to you, but is not nice to the waiter or the waitress, may not be a very kind person. The reason for this is that sometimes kindness is a way for us to get the acclaim or even to control another person or to manipulate the situation. Strings are attached to acts of kindness. Or sometimes it's just blatantly about us. I ran across a website this last week that was describing all of the reasons why you should be kind. And the list started out with, you know why you should be kind? It's because it makes you happy. makes you happy. Another reason why you ought to be kind is it can help you to live longer. That's the real reason to be kind. It's because it'll give you a long life. Another reason to be kind is because it has a positive effect on your brain. And the list continued. There's a, there's a fellow from uh, one of the colleges in the Northeast, a theologian, really great writer, great insight into the Word of God. A guy by the name of Phil Kennison says, one of the striking features of our society, American, North American culture in the 21st century, is how much of our lives are structured around market exchanges. Such exchanges, if allowed to dominate all areas of our lives, undercut attempts to offer and receive loving kindness by turning all such acts into ultimately self-interested exchanges. The reason we are kind is because that's the character of God. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, a sermon on the plains. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is what? Kind. To the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We are called to embody a kindness that is more than skin deep. But we need to remember that also Christian kindness is a supernaturally developed character trait a characteristic of what it means to be a disciple one of the ways the apostle paul offered proof of his authenticity as an apostle to people all over the world was the presence of kindness in his life to that church in corinth that was continually sort of challenging him and saying "Uh, who are you to tell us what to do when it comes to the kingdom of god he says as servants of god speaking of himself we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and troubles hardships distresses In beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience, and say it. You know that one of the ways that people will know that you're a disciple of Jesus is not just a random act of kindness, but that you are kind through and through in your heart in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God. True kindness is an act of the Spirit in your life. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and forbearance, and kindness. When we are kind like this, people get to experience what God's character is like at a very, very limited level because we're humans and he's god but they begin to see when christians say i'm kind because god is kind they begin to get a sense of what the god the character of god is like there's this old joke about here's this guy who's he's he's driving out to his country home on the way out he kind of runs out of gas now that's a contemporary joke (laughs) and as he's pushing his car off the road another car accidentally not seen hits his car knocks it off a cliff and he starts walking to his country home and it started to sleet and it started to snow and he got wet and he got cold and he got sick and came down with the flu. And as, But he keeps going and as he goes around the bend, he sees his country home and in the middle of a sleet storm and it, while well, it's snowing, lightning hits it and the house burns down. And he starts banging his head in his, in his sickness and his despair and he's hitting his head, banging his head against a tree and he says, why me God, why me God? And a voice comes from the heavens, and it says, because some people just tick me off. (laughs) Now, that's that's kind of the idea that people have of God, that He is mean. And that somehow they've done something just to tick Him off, and He's out to get them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christian behavior that does a, a tremendous amount of encouraging that kind of thinking. And that's why Paul says, before he gets to verse 32, where he says, be kind and compassionate, he says, you've got to get rid of all bitterness. All bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And that's why you don't underrate kindness. It's part and parcel of who you are. And the last point we'll make is this, Christian kindness is powerful. It's a powerful thing. I want to I brag on somebody in our church just for a minute. I told her I was going to do this. It's going to embarrass her to no end. I debated whether or not I should use her name, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to tell her I'm going to do it. And unless she says absolutely not, I'm going to tell you who it is. I'm driving to the church one afternoon uh, this past Thursday or Wednesday, sometime this last week, and you know how um, as you're coming through the back way off of Nacogdoches through all of the right turns and left turns, Um, You make your way past the Elam's house. You come down uh, Hitching Post to to Post Oak. And uh, right before you get there, there's a place where you you tee and you have to come to a stop. And I was following this this individual, this citizen, this driving uh, SUV or something. And that person wasn't really paying attention to what they were doing. And they ran the stop sign. They weren't going very fast because they were having to turn 90 degrees. But they just sort of ran the stop sign, wasn't looking either way. And they just kind of pulled out in front of Bonnie Burroughs. And and Bonnie stopped her car, and the other person just kind of at the last minute saw the white car and came to the stop. And Bonnie just smiled the most beautiful smile. I mean, if you've seen Bonnie smile, it's just a gorgeous smile. And she just smiled at him and just waved and said, you can go. And that person went. And then Bonnie took off after and there are two lessons from that story. The first is, uh, you never know when you have an opportunity to be kind. And you need to be working on that kindness from the inside out because in the unguarded moments, like a lot of us out there on 410 when somebody cuts us off, we're not necessarily smiling beautifully at them. So kindness is who we really are. The second lesson out of this story is, listen, the, if you do wrong, the preacher's going to see you. That's, <laughs> you never know where I'm going to show up. And, when I, and I see everything. Nothing gets past. (laughs) Christian kindness is a powerful thing. And one of the ways you can show kindness to a person is in the way you treat them in a moment of weakness. Or in their own everyday weakness. You know, there's this story out of the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 9, where David is now established as the king of Israel. And he's, he's, he's wondering if... There's anybody left from the family of his best friend Jonathan. And, and Jonathan's been killed in battle. David has now become the great king. He he remembers his friendship with, with Jonathan and he asks, Is there anyone from Jonathan's family that he can be kind to? And David is told about this fellow by the name of Mephibosheth, who lives in a place called Lo bar two words Lo bar which means no thing or nowhere. And who is crippled in both feet. And David sends for Mephibosheth and brings this crippled man who can bring nothing to him in terms of prestige or honor or value. And he, he sits this guy down at his table to eat with the king and his entourage every day. And it becomes an Old Testament story of what the grace of God is like in his kindness. And it all starts when the king asks in verse 3 of that chapter, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? In her memoir about a journey from being a person who was um, committed to a same-sex lifestyle to becoming a committed disciple of Jesus, a woman by the name of Rosaria Butterfield at the time, A non-Christian, a professor at a university, thought that most Christians were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, afraid of diversity. So she wrote an article that was published in the local paper where she just kind of critiqued the Christian faith based on those kinds of ideas about the, the type of folk that make up our faith. And as you can imagine, she received volumes of hate mail. Just tons of it. A lot of it threatening, a lot of it just hateful. And then she received a two-page handwritten letter from a local minister. And in her own words, she says, It was a kind and inquiring letter. It was the kindest letter of opposition I had ever received. And she was so struck by the kindness of the letter, she didn't know what to do with it. So she just laid it down on her desk and she, she laid it down on that desk and didn't touch it for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, she she was so touched by the kindness of this minister in the way that he spoke to her that she contacted them, became friends with he and his wife, and she says, they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. Talked to me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. And it was at that point that her journey to faith and to become a disciple of Jesus had begun. We know from, from early church fathers that there was a lot of confusion in the early years of the church about what the followers of Jesus were to be called. The Greek word for Christ is the word Christos with an I, Christos. The word in Greek for kind swaps that I for an E, Christos. And so apparently many people mistakenly, though perhaps fittingly, called the disciples of Jesus not Christians, but the kind ones. You know, every time we come to worship, there's lots of things that are supposed to happen. When we come to worship, it's an opportunity for us to to, to recognize that we're not here. We're not who we are on our own. That we, we make decisions every day to be people of faith. We make decisions every day that we're going to live our life in in a certain way that's going to reflect on the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is not just something that we attend, but that the kingdom of God is inside of us, that God reigns in our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies, that that's who we are, and He puts His Spirit to, to help that be sped up and for that to happen successfully. But every time we come to worship, especially when we sing those songs about the cross, And somebody like Ed Biggers gets up to remind us, there's there's absolutely no way that we can save ourselves. That we can try hard. And I mean, we can be the most restrained, grid filled people ever, but we are not going to do the job to ever win our salvation. And not only are we not good enough for that, but every day, human beings all over the place are wrecking God's creation. We're like the little kid that comes into the, 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 the friend's house and starts breaking all his toys. But God's kind, amen? And because He's kind, we are reminded every time we worship, every time we, we drink that cup and we eat that bread that represents the kindness of of God, in blood and body, being sacrificed so that we can find ourselves in the greatest of all relationships. God Father, we are sons and daughters, children of God, because in His kindness He chose, He chose not to drop kick us out of the stadium, but to embrace us. That's why this bitterness thing and the anger and the rage and the slander and all forms of malice like putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. It's just so unbecoming of people who have been the recipients of a kindness that we could never, ever, ever, ever repay but at least recognize to some degree, to some level, to some depth, the profoundness of it. And that's why we sing worship songs to God. Because of who he has done, what he has done to us in, our kind, in his kindness. A piece of kindness is the invitation that we do at the end of every sermon. That's where, after worshiping and being reminded of the cross and listening to God's word there's an opportunity to engage that kindness, to engage God's grace, His gift, His love, His mercy, His compassion, all of those things that you discover through His Word, not just to be wonderful, but to be true. And during the singing of this next song, it's the invitation for you to do something about what it is that's been put on your heart. It's, it's, about, it's about recognizing that without the kindness of God, your life is never going to be different. Your life will always be the same. But because of his kindness, and when you dive into that kindness, it's like conversion, which it really is. It's about readjustment, which is what it really is. It's about change, which is what it really is, to become everything that you were supposed to be being made in the image of God. And so if you need to connect with God's grace and to be baptized so your sins are forgiven and you align your life up with the will of God, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to become a disciple, to become a son, to become a daughter of God, we can do that this morning. If there are other things we need to be praying about or working with you about in order for all of the great blessings that God wants to happen in your life to happen and the changes to be wrought in your life, then come down and talk to these shepherds who are down here at the front as we stand and praise God together.
0: If for the prize we have strived,